All right. Uh, what's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of Random Car Guys. Uh, we're back. It's been a while. It has been. It's been too long. We've been doing a lot of stuff, but we haven't recorded anything. We're doing a lot of video yeah. stuff, which is still to be edited. But uh, <laughs> I didn't pull off the GoPro. Very as usual. There you go. Um, but back on the podcast uh, today, me and Heath are going to co-host. And please introduce. Yeah, can't speak. I'm going to introduce to you uh, our new podcast guest, which is Miss Hannah Elliott. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to see you guys. Appreciate it. Uh, so doing what you do, uh, obviously we know what you do, but for those listening, uh, give us a little bit of an elevator pitch. I mean, what, what, what do you do? Well, I'm the staff writer and car critic for Bloomberg Business Week on the Pursuits team, which means that the focus of my reporting is tends to be the luxury cars and motorcycles um, for Bloomberg Business Week. I put it really simply where most people reporters write about how to make money at Bloomberg. I write about how to spend money. So I have the very fun job, which is great. Um, my day-to-day -day life is uh, reporting about lifestyle news, product news, as it relates to cars and motorcycles for the Bloomberg reader, um, which is really fun. We try to keep it smart and clever and not waste your time. Sounds boring. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. Yeah. Uh, what comes to mind is just Rolls Royce's airplanes and just fancy hotels. Well, the yeah. piece that I posted today was really good. I just read that about an hour ago. Uh, so it's interesting. It's funny how you just explained how you write it. That's definitely what I took from reading it. So thank you. Yeah. A big thing for me is um, I try to, you know, for the Bloomberg reader, money isn't necessarily an object, but time is. Um, and so we really try to be respectful of that. And we also try to approach things with the nuance that um, luxury isn't certainly about just a brand name or just a price tag. It's um, about a lot of other things than that. And so, um, you know, we try to report the nuance of it. It's not just Gucci, you know, Bentley, uh, Moet, Chadon, whatever. It's a mix of things. Um, it might be things that are handcrafted, made by someone you've never heard of too. Mm -hmm. which is fun. Yeah, like if you know, you know type things. So yeah. new context to that, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so for everyone listening that doesn't know you, they can Google you and they can see, and uh, we've done some research today listening to past podcasts that you've been on. Uh, and one of those pod podcasts, it was on Matt's Smoking Tire podcast. You said that Just you... a month ago. Yeah. yeah, I grew up in Oregon. Yeah, I it's I was born in Eugene, which is Tracktown, USA. So um, I grew up in a family of runners. My dad ran for um, the Nike farm team for the Olympic marathon, which was called Athletics West back in the day. Um, that's when Nike was headquartered in Eugene, Oregon. So that's why I was born there. Um, and then my family moved to Bend shortly after, and I grew up there not around any car people at all. I, my dad's not a car guy. My brother's not a car guy. My grandparents, my granddads and uncles aren't car guys, like nobody. Um, but it was a great place to grow up. Oregon's a great state. Um, and then went to Texas for school and then made my way to New York where I lived for 15 years until COVID. So that's, <laughs> that's the nutshell. So what did you think of being in the Northwest and then going to Waco? Because I grew up in North Texas, so I'm... I was going to say, I'm detecting something of an accent. Yeah. Uh, well, I've got a Texas-Oklahoma mix right now, and then being friends with this guy, it's Yeah, I'm it's from nice. Wales in the UK, so... But, yeah. um, that's great, because my dad's side of the family are all Welsh, 
Um, the last name is Lodwick on that side, and okay. I've been told that's a Welsh name. So um, that's that's great. We have solidarity on both with both of you guys. Um, the shock from going from Oregon to Waco, it was a big culture shock. Um, yeah. Uh, it's did not for every. That's on that. Yeah. Say that again. Did you could do a whole podcast on that, I'm sure. We could do a whole podcast on that. Um, I, I actually have relatives in Dallas. And so I had grown up going to Texas in the summertime on family trips. So I knew a little bit about Texas. And I love the Texan mentality of very independent, very proud. Um, very, you got like very eccentric Texans too, which I love. Some of my favorite people live in Texas. Um, so I have really fond, fond feelings toward Texas. Waco, uh, you know, of course, everyone knows about the uh, Branch Davidian, David Koresh fiasco. Um, so that was pretty much my extent of knowledge before I went to Waco. So it was quite a shock. Yeah. Um, Oregon, of course, is like trees and mountains and it's very, very hippie. And um, so it was a shock. But uh, I went to Baylor University. It's a great school. Um, ran on the track team, which is kind of why I went down and really had a good experience there. Um, so I was happy to go and I was happy to leave <laughs> when college was over. Now, and you're pretty tall, too. Yeah, yeah. I'm five ten and a half. Um, my brother's six eight. My dad's six four. My mom's five eleven, and I've got aunts on both sides that are six feet. So we come from a very tall family. Um, which you know, when you're in junior high and you're like the girl that's taller than all the guys, it's not very fun. But uh, when I moved to New York, it became like immediately incredible. So it's it's good. It turned out good in the end. Yeah, absolutely. I'm 6'5", so I can relate. Oh, great. I love That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, it's, you can bond with that. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, college athlete, so that's awesome. That's Big 12, familiar with that. Um, but what did you get your degree in? What did you go to school for? I studied journalism. I, um, yeah. like I said, I'm not a car person, and I will still say I'm not a car guy. Um, I cover cars because it's my job. And I, I got into writing about cars because I was a very poor, very young, uh, recent journalism grad. And um, an editor at Forbes, where I first worked, kind of took me under his wing. And I learned about the car world, assisting him being an assistant editor. Um, and then he was, uh, there, there was a bunch of layoffs in 2008, of course, because of the recession. Um, so he was let go around that time because, of course, he was way more expensive than me. And um, there was no one else to write about cars. So I kind of fell into it just because there, there was no one else. And it became the type of thing that I really liked. Um, so uh, for me, not coming from a car background has been actually, I think, an advantage, an asset. Um, it helps me see things, I think, from a broad perspective. I can see how, you know, car guys are great. And um, you kind of think the world, everyone loves cars and the world revolves around cars and it doesn't. Um, there are a lot of people who could not care less about cars. There are a lot of guys who could not less care less about cars. There are a lot of like my entire family, you know, they're all, they're all sports people, but they're not car people. So um, it actually was an asset because I, I came in with, not a lot of uh, preconceptions about anything. 
Yeah, when you talk about perception, I think that's a big deal. It's funny when we started becoming friends, we would talk. He would talk about American like YouTube car YouTube guys, mm-hmm. and I didn't really pay much attention to him because I was. I know I know a lot of people know, know a lot of those guys, and it's just yeah. familiar. And I, but I was fascinated with the UK stuff, so I knew all those guys and thought a lot of that, and and even other countries in Germany and a lot of urban green stuff because it was different, it was unique. And when I was watching American stuff, it was just like watching my friends, you know. So yeah, there's definitely a lot of different perspectives that you can take from it. And, yeah 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 why why journalism you know that's a great question i i grew up loving to read and um i didn't really i was just a little bookworm really um and in college i went to college because i liked athletics and my dad i didn't really know what to study and my dad said well why don't you take some writing classes you know you learn you like reading just take some, take a journalism class, you know, just to fill out your schedule basically. Yeah. And, um, I took it and it was fun and it was kind of, I could do it, it kind of easily. And it didn't, I'm maybe I'm lazy, you know, it came kind of naturally. I didn't want to try hard at anything else. Um, so I just kind of kept doing it. Um, certainly didn't start out thinking I was going to be a journalist, but I'm really proud to be a journalist. Um, I consider myself a journalist who writes about cars, not a car journalist. And um, I, I think the profession is really, you know, when done right, it's really honorable um, and, and, and so powerful and um, necessary. So I'm, I'm really proud to be a part of it. But yeah, I definitely did start out being a journalist. Um, it's a type of thing too that I think is great. Anyone can do it really. I mean, people ask me all the time, how do you start writing? How do you get involved in writing about stuff? I love seeing what you do. And you just start. Like, you literally just start writing. Because at the end of the day, um, editors just care about reading what you've already written. So it's a great thing. There's a very low barrier to entry. Anyone can, truly, anyone can just start writing. You can start working your way up. Um, That's definitely what I did. And um, I like that, too. It's great. Who um, who was it would have been like your kind of journalistic idols at that time? I didn't have any. I mean, <laughs> this is Let's really funny. Really, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't have I didn't have any, but I did I did actually know journalists, and I think looking back, probably my personality was really okay. already in tune to journalism, even though I didn't know. Um, I knew this columnist named Mona Sharon. And I only knew her because she had a syndicated column that my parents would read every week and would get so upset about it. They just thought she was like a crazy liberal woman. And I saw how they reacted to that. And I just remembered it. And I kind of liked it. And I just knew the name Mona Sharon because my, it would really drive my parents crazy to read her column. But they always read it. That's the other thing. They never missed a week. So I knew her. Um, I knew like Hannah Storm, a sports broadcaster. I know I knew Willow Bay. I knew Ann Curry. So like television journalists, I knew that who were women. Ann Curry happens to be from Oregon too, so I like that. Hannah Storm, of course, shares my name, so I always remembered her. I thought they handled themselves well. Um, and then I knew like Barbara Walters, you know, who I actually thought was an incredible interviewer, and I I thought it was so cool how she could get people to tell her things that they wouldn't normally tell people. Um, so I was very, f- always fascinated by the idea of a conversation and um, the way that people could, could bring things out in conversation from, in a journalistic way. So, 
So those were really, I guess, the journalists that I was watching at the time. But yeah, um, I mean, now there are so many. Um, I really, I actually really like a lot of, well, <laughs> again, Maureen Dowd is another favorite who's polarizing. She writes a call, she writes a political column for uh, the New York Times and her, her word craft is fascinating and very creative. Um, so she's one that comes to mind, but I also like uh, a lot of fashion journalists today too, that I read. I read a lot of other journalists that don't write about cars um, mm -hmm. just because I think it helps keep my perspective really well-rounded. And I learned a lot of things when I read their stuff. So. Yeah. For someone that follows you on Instagram, they could definitely tell that you have a, your own unique personal sense of fashion and, and I, you know, uh, the long coats and the hats, like it's, it's cool to see, right? It's, it's, it's definitely you and it's, it's a nice twist. Thanks. I have fun with it. You know, I, I have, I like, I, I like to keep myself interested. I don't want to bore myself. So half of it is just me wanting to not be bored with myself. <laughs> Yeah. So, so you're at Baylor, you graduate, uh, and then I guess you decide to just go to New York? Yeah. So um, I was married at the time. Um, I was married to an investment banker. And so um, just out of college, we were married. He's in investment banking. Of course, New York is a place to go for that. Um, so, and because journalism too, I mean, it's great in New York. So we just moved there after school. Um, and I had never been to New York before I moved there, which is crazy. I'd never wanted to go really. I, again, this, this whole thing wasn't planned by any means. I just kind of followed, uh, followed what kept me interested and curious. And I think that's really a key. Um, but we moved to New York and I loved it from the first second. It was just the type of thing where I just couldn't believe that anyone could live there, that you didn't have to pass some special test or pay a fee. Yeah. It, and it's not for everybody at all. And that's okay. You know, it's, it's not for everyone. It's a really hard city to live in sometimes, but for me, it was exactly what I needed. Um, and I, I've loved every single second of living there. I've never had a moment where I didn't like it. Um, yeah, so I, I feel really fortunate about that city. It's a great city. It's crazy to see how it is now. Um, like a lot of cities, it's been really affected by coronavirus, but it'll come back. Yeah, I've got to get to see it. I took a, me and my wife took a big road trip all up uh, the East Coast, stayed in D.C., stayed in Manhattan, and got to drive around. Did that, and it, it was a cool experience. I'm really happy to see it before it was all nuts, because I'd say it was definitely, I mean, it was, it was at a high. It was a really exciting time to be there. So. What's, what season did you do that in? What time of year? Uh, that was uh, August, end of August. Okay, so it was hot. Oh, man, it was hot, but I'm used to hot. I'm used to miserably hot. So yes. Yeah, that's good. Oklahoma, Texas, and Florida. So, I mean, that's just, I live in the heat. Wow. Yeah, yeah that'll do permanent, it. Permanent sunburn kind of thing, too, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, it's not the uh, it's not the perfect seventy five degrees in, in California like it is here today. No, no, not at all. I I want to ask you how you got into the car thing. I've been wanting to ask you about this Porsche bubble thing that you mentioned in that call. Yeah. We'll save that until the end because we're we're on the timeline. Sure. But given the fact that you didn't, you weren't really a car person. Like, do you have some of those initial early car memories, a particular car that you like? Like, kind of how did that? I mean you don't stumble into the car world by accident necessarily. So there had been a lot to that because you've done really well with it. 
Yeah, thanks. Um, I remember thinking how crazy it was that people would get up early on a weekend and like go to a parking lot and look at cars. Like, I just remember thinking, who does that? It's a Saturday and you're getting up early? I just remember thinking that was so ridiculous. And of course, millions of people do it. I do it now of my own, of my own choice. Um, but I, re I just remember thinking how shocking that was. Um, in terms of cars, I remember the first Lamborghini I drove, which was really exciting. And it was a big moment because um, it, was, it was at Pebble Beach. I was there with the editor who hired me at Forbes. He, he was still at Forbes at the time. And I, I had always just, you know, sat next to him taking notes or whatever while he did test drives. And on this one, he said, do you want to try? And it was phenomenal. It was, it was probably, the, it was the last, no, it was an Aventador, but I couldn't tell you which year, but it was the Lamborghini Aventador. And I just remember being completely blown away. And before then, I had always thought cars, you know, it's like an A to B thing. There really isn't that much difference. And that car completely blew that notion out of the water. All cars are not created equal. No. And that's okay to say. Yeah. Like, it's okay to insane. say. Yeah. Yes. That was it's, just it's, insane. Yeah. Yes. Some cars are, in every respect, better than other cars. And that's okay. Um, so I just remember that being such an incredible uh thing i remember driving um the what the tesla roadster before the model s came out um i remember driving the roadster with elon musk um which was really memorable and just thinking about him i mean he's a really fascinating character um i ended up doing a cover story on him for forbes at the time over like six months spending a lot of time with him talking about the cars this was before model s came out and he one thing i really remember he said was cars are going to be like computers and no one had ever said that before to my knowledge to me in my hearing and he kept saying this is like a computer just imagine like your cell phone but it's a car and i didn't quite get it but i remember obviously now it makes sense yeah. um and i remember how, you know he was so proud of this the vertical command center like a tablet in the car i mean we saw prototypes of the model s and um so that was really memorable and i just think that's basically historic now now that we know where tesla is and where it could be going um yeah so yeah i have i have memories like that which is great you know um i remember back to before any of these automakers had SUVs, like before Bentley had an SUV, before Porsche had an SUV, before Rolls-Royce had an SUV, before anyone had SUVs, like anyone. And now that's, you know, 70% of the business, yeah. period, in the U.S. Um, so it's just crazy to think about how things have changed in a relatively short amount of time. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's what no, comes no, no, it's great points. And I mean, I think things are happening faster now. So it's interesting because you get yep. to see things play out. Like what I yes. feel like what he said would have been a lot more long-term type of situation. No, I came around real quick, way faster yes. than he thought. And yes. it's funny now because yeah, he's laughing. He's got the smug. He can just be as smug as he wants now. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I nailed it. 
Yeah, and it's it's working on an accelerated pace even more so too. I mean, exponentially faster. Um, COVID's throwing a twist in everything. So that'll be interesting to see um, how that affects things. But yeah, it's, it's crazy the speed of, I mean, I remember five years ago, people were kind of talking about, you know, is this the end of, like cars are boring or whatever, like before, before electric and hybrid technology had really come where it is now. And I just remember thinking we, this is the platform to the next millennium of transportation. And if you think about around 19, the year 1900, there were dozens of car companies in America alone. Um, there were electric cars a hundred years ago. There were cars running on steam I mean, this is like a redux of that, but on steroids, which to me is really exciting because it's all happening in such a compressed time frame. but it's all happening. Yeah. Um, yeah, we had, uh, we had a Taycan 4S for a, a day and just like one of the best interiors I've ever seen and ever been yeah. in. And I mean, that has enough power to do anything. Controversial say I was bored at the end of it. Well, that's what I mean. I that's where I'm, that's where I'm going next. Is like yeah. it's cool, but like you over. Why were you anything. bored? Yeah. Why were you bored? We're just um, straight line speed, right? Yeah. Yeah. It just. I think it was. I, I was pretty overwhelmed by it when I first got in. I said, "Oh, this is nice." And I've had Audis and, and some of the S line stuff, and um, really impressed. I love the way it felt. It was the. It basically tricked you out of an electric car. You're like, "What is this?" You know, it's got the sound. Um, uh, it was so driver focused and it really didn't feel like near as big of a car as it is either. Yeah. And then, so we get out and we drive it. And I think once you got over the initial acceleration and like, I'm an idiot, I drive a supercharged F-150 as a nice. date, right? So that's very Texas. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Very <laughs> stereotypical, <laughs> promise you. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, I just remember saying kind of like, man, now, now living with this every day, if I could afford a rocket, just an efficient rocket, kind of like a Tesla plus one, like that's what like I think this is kind of neat you know if you want to do the Tesla thing super effective deal but um I think I need some engine I need a little bit of stuff I'm not a dinosaur but I did yeah I was surprised I got surprisingly bored with that car yeah and one of our how friends, did you how did you fit in it being six five well very well yeah okay that's I really good. rarely had a ever a problem getting into a Porsche yeah so that's nice. I think that's actually one of the few automakers that a taller men can fit in pretty well yeah. actually anyway yeah. not to derail it but yeah dream right now because i think i can fit in as gt3 touring you know one day, one day. yeah one day. this is the nice uh, yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> we have a friend that has one and he's just like his daily just like yeah. what seats sport. does he have in it uh, uh have are they are they sports <laughs> seats or or no he has a comfort one yeah he has comfort okay that's good yeah. that's yeah. that's honestly better for daily driving yeah. Well, there's the highest mileage one that I've uh, seen through last posted up a YouTube video this yeah, morning sure. of a 51,000 uh, kilometer uh, GT3 touring. It was it's, a PTS car in Switzerland. Wow. The oak green metallic one that's on Instagram. It's that oh, one. is it Constantine? It's not yeah, Constantine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The guy in Switzerland. Yeah, I think so. I was there when he picked up that car. Oh, no way. He is the nicest guy. And that was a really big day. That's, that's really cool. And I'm not surprised at all. He gave a really good take of why he drives that car uh, and about Porsche and all that. Your dog's nuts. Um, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great conversation. Your dog's really yeah. want to be a part of it. Um, 
Yeah, no, it's a really good take. I it's seen through your last uh, channel. It's it's a video I posted this morning, but he he kind of went off um, standing in front of the car on like a two minute rant. It was good. It was really yeah, good. Yeah, that's really. That's good. awesome. That's awesome. So go, but go, yeah, go. back to the electric car. Um, what do you think about it, Mike? Were you I mean, bored I, too? Yeah, like I. And I, I'm like the typical car person that like doesn't own a cool car, but just watches every single video. And like, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've got some of these cars now through like social media and I guess press cars and doing some photography work and stuff like that. And like, you know, like, like doing some work with the local Porsche dealership here, it's helped me get in these things. And I think like it, it's a lot bigger than I would like it to be. Like it's massive. Uh, yeah. And, you know, like, and I know we, people talk about cars getting bigger and bigger all the time, but then when, you know, it's, I don't know, I just, it, it does wear off. Like, but the funny part of it, I took my mother-in-law for a drive and she's like this super Christian, you know, conservative woman. And I was like, make sure your head's back. Cause I'm going to put my foot down. And I did a quick, like 30 to 60 pull. And like, she's like, Oh shit. So I'm like, that is funny. Like, yeah. that was good. Yeah. I feel like I, that's uh, good. I feel like I even have to say something else about that. Like I just called it boring, but the first thing we did, we put my mom and That's right. yeah. stepdad in it and they just, they were like laughing, never had that much fun. They hadn't been in a car like that. So yeah. it's funny how I called it boring because I was being real hard on it, but we, but that's, it's only, it's only trick. Yeah. We had a day of yeah. fun. Like it was a blast. We like couldn't, we that's were, awesome. yeah, it was a toy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talking about price cars, what is, you know, because you've had some amazing ones and, and we've been watching some of the videos and I know listening to the Farrah podcast, you talked about going on the Cullinan launch and it was amazing. What are some of the worst press car experiences that you've had? Cause That's a great question. Because no one talks about the bad ones, right? Let me think. I probably blocked them from my memory. <laughs> uh, yeah. Honestly... <sighs> Well, I'll tell you about, I'll tell you about one that I'm not going to say the automaker. Yeah, don't say it, that was, it was yeah. it was Italian and it really wasn't their fault. Okay. Because somehow I couldn't make the wave of American journalists, so I got put in a wave of journal this is in Italy. I got put in a wave of mostly German um like industry guys and then some also from i think china and like and it was literally stay at the hotel by the racetrack at this amount of time at exactly this moment be here get on the bus drive to the racetrack you're here from this time to this time in one hour you know for one hour we have lunch it was like regimented like jail and then it was like back on the bus, back to the hotel by the track, which is not a luxurious hotel by any means. You have 30 minutes to get ready for dinner. Then you must be down to dinner promptly at this time. And it was like so regimented and no one spoke English really, except for like the ones that you wish didn't speak English. And <laughs> there like, was... Yeah, so you talk all the time? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It was, I'm not complaining by any means. This, this, I was happy to be there. I wanted to be there, but it was just very surreal because yeah. it was totally out of context. It was literally a bunch of older German industry reporters and a few from China and um, like that, certainly no women. The, the press people who had put me on that wave weren't there. So like my contacts weren't, it was just really surreal. Yeah. And I just say that to say like, 
it, yes, the press, most press launches are amazing and I love them. And my editor really tries to rein me in on going on them for a whole, whole host of reasons. Um, but not all of them are glamorous. And like a lot of hotels, if you're going on a press launch, that's uh, for a, a car that they're going to put on the track. A lot of the hotels are track hotels, which yeah. are the same hotel you'd find like by an airport. Yeah. Um, and you know, it's, it's track side catering, which is not amazing. So, and you know, so all that to say, I'm not complaining at all. And everyone of course is nice, yeah. but it just felt like you were literally going from the jail cell on the jail bus to the track and then back with a bunch of like uh, people who didn't speak English. It was so surreal. Yeah. I was happy to be done with that one. Yeah. I find it weird when they do that. Cause it's like, man, you, you need to write something really nice. You know, you need to come yes. with a good impression of this. And it's funny how some of these will, will set you up in a situation that's not ideal. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's not ideal. I mean, in, in the perfect sense, and actually COVID is great for this. Um, you just can take the press car by yourself and drive it for a, a little bit amount of time. And then you have access to the engineers and the executives to ask them what you need to ask them. That's the perfect scenario for me in terms of doing reviews. And that has happened a lot during COVID. Yeah. So that's great. And uh, yes, we don't get to travel and, you know, do things that look glamorous, mm -hmm. but that's totally okay with me. And frankly, you know, Bloomberg pays for those trips anyway. We can't, I can't accept um, gifts of travel at all or hotel things. So Bloomberg pays for those. And I couldn't go on half the ones that were held anyway because my editor didn't want me there too. Yeah. So COVID in, in that way has actually been great because now I get to have press cars just to myself and do stuff yeah. with them. So and you get to drive through the canyons. Yeah. 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 That's where moving to LA is a great spot. That's like when I, I've always watched Pharaoh. I mean, from way back in the day and it's funny. Yeah. Like, Nothing's going to change for him. He still gets up early and rolls yeah. up there and maybe he's got a little more traffic now. So that's life early. goes on. Yeah. Life goes on. And now with that parking garage, you know, he's got it made. He can park all the cars and in, in the garage and have yeah. people bring cars to him. And it's great. What, uh, so talking about press cars, what, what have you had recently? Well, um, I just finished the review for the Audi A6 All Road um, that I had last week. And uh, Magnus and I took that up to Big Sur. We put 800 miles on that car. Nice. Um, yeah, so that was a really fun one. Um, I think a great great wagon reviews coming out on Friday. So I won't say too much more, awesome. but, uh, have had, um, the new Bentley, uh, the new Cullinan, um, a couple of variations of Huracans, the Evo real rear wheel drive, um, the new Evoque. Um, let's see what else the F type, the new F type R convertible. Um, I'll get the coupe version on Friday. So mm -hmm. that'll be fun. Um, it's been great. I, I have to really commend the press um, press teams on like every automaker. They've done a great job of making sure that um, people can still get press cars. Um, had the new 992 Targa, which was great. Yeah. Um, and of course, the 992 Turbo S, which that's my favorite car of the year so far. It's all, all, all yeah. things in. Um, Does it live up to the hype? Yes. They created the yes. hype we talked about. It is I mean, some hype. Yes. Is, is, is it, it, is it I, ridiculous? Yeah. 
if I could afford it and if I was going to buy a modern car, I would buy that car. Okay. It's so, it's so stinking fast. And yet you don't feel like you're beat up at the end of the day, driving it like you do in a lot of fast cars. It's, and it, I, I like how it looks. I think it's cool. Um, it's yeah, it's big. It's like bigger than any, you know, any other Porsche before it. Yeah. It's got very, a very wide stance, but that's a, it's an amazing car. And I really like the new configuration on the dashboard um, with the controls and the gauges and stuff. It's very futuristic and really well done. Yeah. It's, I mean, they look great. And even yeah. for, for the first time for me, I actually really like the look of the cab. Yeah. Like, yeah. I haven't in the past. They've just not been, I don't know. They just, they've just never looked at yeah. And this one with yeah. like the little fin and the wing or whatever, just like, that's yeah, and the line of uh, taillights going straight across. Mm -hmm. I think it, I think they did really did a good job. And I'm like you, I typically don't like cabriolets, especially a 911. I just think it, it doesn't look amazing, but they did a good job with it. Yeah. Yeah, Porsche are just impressive in general. We've got a few idiots that have got some BBI, some special BBI cars out here. As guys got nice. a few of them, that King Kong, like 1,300-hour nice. silver one. Anyway, so we've got several of them running around here at eight, nine hundred bolt-on horsepower. It's nuts, wow. and it's still just daily drivable, no big issue. We're on the wow. We've got a pretty heavy like performance, like high-end performance deal here in Oklahoma City, which you wouldn't yeah. expect. But wow, uh, do you feel like you can even touch the full capability of that car, though? Yeah, I mean, okay. well, you know, my bad. I'm an absolute idiot that races a lot of stuff <laughs> and does a lot of high horsepower stuff. So I come from like, yeah, everything is more. I, I yeah, I, and, but I really appreciate the manufacturers that overbuild. To yeah. a way, which is not nonsense. I mean, uh, there's you can tell the manufacturers that are thinking ahead, yeah, and, and really preparing themselves for it. And man, it makes a big difference. Yeah. I think on uh, resale in a way, I don't know. It's kind of like it's not going to affect a residual type deal, but I know the guys that have the money to buy these cars and trade them around, and it matters. You know, the fact that's that they can modify them, they are stronger, and so but yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's I mean, Oklahoma for the most part. Which, I mean, we're in, we're in Oklahoma City right now, and it's like it's kind of like drag racing central. <laughs> yeah. Or roll I mean, racing. You can't have nice. like, you know, if you have a Porsche GT three, like you're wasting your money. Like you just, there's no way to drive it. Everything's well, we got some, We have local tracks and, but they wear them out and that's it. Yeah. And there's a pretty small group of people. So there's not a lot of road racing type stuff, but I get it. Yeah. A lot of the stuff is like, they said street racing, roll racing. I mean, he is in like the Mustang scene, building Mustangs and stuff. And, trucks as well cool so it is fun well, but, you know i definitely believe you know it's probably sometimes it can be more fun to drive a slow car fast than a fast car slow <laughs> yeah i, I do yeah yeah i get how if you have a gt3 and know where to drive it that's not it's not as fun <laughs> might as well just get something slower what what's in your current like like personal garage at the moment well, I have an 88 560 SL Mercedes. That is my one and only car that I personally own. Um, it was given to me by Magnus, uh, my boyfriend, as a birthday gift, um, which is great. And, you know, before that, I had not owned a car since college because I live in New York. I lived in New York and um, I wouldn't want to own a car in New York. So this, that's the first car, first and only car that I actually own. My name's on the title. Um, it's a great car. I mean, it's not going to win any drag races, but also, I mean, it's got a V8. It's, oh, it's, yeah. it, it's a very strong runner and it's great for cruising around. And 
I just think it has a bunch of style. Um, so I, I really like it. Well, the old Mercedes of that era and back are bulletproof. Completely. Right? Completely. I mean, the door itself weighs about a thousand pounds. I mean, you swing it shut and it sounds like a vault closing. Um, so yeah, I, it's good. Cause you know, it does, it's not ostentatious, but you can look appropriate, you know, showing up anywhere in that car. Yeah. Not like I'm going anywhere these days, but you know, hypothetically. <laughs> I guess when you were going places, what's like, uh, you know, some of the best road trips you've been on? Well, that's a great question. There have been so many. I was just talking this morning um, with the folks at Jaguar and they did a road trip that was driving every version of of their of their sedan series you know xks xjs from the 60s to now driving those rotating through the cars from coventry to le mans in france um and we took a a, a ferry over the water um overnight that was an incredible road trip just driving through the countryside in england and france um and old old jags and they all worked none of them I think the worst thing that happened was a windshield wiper broke, which for Jaguar is saying a lot. Yes. <laughs> I was, and that, speaking of press trips, that one was really well run. It was the perfect combination of organized, but not anal. And um, that's a fine balance to strike sometimes. So that's been a great road trip. Um, but, you know, honestly, lately, we've just been doing a bunch of driving out in the desert. Um, like here from LA to um, Palm Springs is you can make it in like 90 minutes with no traffic. Um, and then you get out to Joshua tree, Yucca Valley, um, the desert out there is salt and sea and it's cool. I mean, it looks like the moon. Um, so I really like taking press cars out there. Um, is that where thermal club is? Sorry. Is that where the thermal club yes. is? Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then that Audi all road, uh, we took up to Big Sur, you know, Pebble Beach would be happening this month. Yeah. And I think we kind of just wanted to go up to Big Sur anyway. So we took, took the wagon up, sorry about the plane, took the wagon up there, um, on highway one and that is slow driving, but it's really pretty. So mm -hmm. it works out. Uh, low key, my friend, well, I, I really liked Audi's is like that old all road. Mm -hmm. Like whatever one that was, the like old one, the, yeah, yeah, the old one. That was the a, like, an A four, maybe. Yeah, it was an A four all road. See, yeah. I was like, that's the coolest looking like sedan station wagon thing, and that was why I really liked Audis. And ended up getting into it, and buying an S four, and going from there. So awesome. Yeah, so yeah. It's cool to see your all road because I'm I'm never gonna buy one now, but like a little spot in my heart. I like that. Yeah. Like why do you say now? I mean, why wouldn't you go back? Are you too too into the Mustang life? No, I'm away from the Mustang. I just got a business thing. Um, but yeah, no, uh, I, it's more so like, I think there's just a lot of other options. Out there. Like I would go more for the new RS six coming up across. Like I would, I would probably choose that. But to what you were talking about earlier, you know, it's, it's like, there's an ass for every seat and there's a drive for every mood. And, and I am definitely getting to where there are cars. I'm like, I don't want more than this. Like I do yeah. something for like a very particular purpose. You know, it's kind of a ridiculous thing. It's obviously ridiculous and, and it is what it is. But when you talk about, you know, an overall good driving vehicle. I think there's a balance that you have to hit. And so there's a lot of cars now that I think I used to have that I would modify everything. Ooh, not now. Now it's different. Now I'm looking into a lot more things. And I think the, the automakers have, there's, there's just so much variety. And I think that the automakers are so in tune to 
all the media and the new media that's been out there. So I think they get a lot more feedback. And so I think you're yeah. just getting a lot more, you know, the vehicles that are catered and, and trim models and stuff like that that's catered and marketed to people differently. And so I think now it's easier to go buy a vehicle for a purpose and know that it's built for that and not want to mess with it. And I think Completely. that you can definitely overpower the capabilities of a lot of vehicles and run them. And I used to think mm -hmm. that was the dumbest thing in the world to hear. So I'm like, I'm more power, make it faster than burnouts. You know, that's kind of that thing. But yeah, as you grow up and you mature, that's, it's cool now that, yeah, everything is going so versatile, you know, because it's almost yeah. like many options. Like, I say all road, I don't know. There may be like a million other things out there. I just haven't driven for so many more options now, but yes. all roads a spot in my heart. But I don't know, maybe watching your review, that'll change. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Maybe, I mean, I think if you want to, I mean, probably the RS6 yeah. all road is, I mean, that's their top of the line. So yeah. I, I am holding my breath for that one. That's I'm not going to lie. It's coming to um, the States, isn't it? Yeah, finally, first time here. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I do agree. I'm, you know, people ask me all the time, what's your favorite car? Yeah. And I, I'm always, I always say, well, give me the scenario because yeah. it's all about having the right tool for the job. And like the, you know, uh, F8 Ferrari is great for some things and would be horrible for other things. And you can't wait to get out of it. You know, half the McLarens, I definitely wouldn't want to drive on a daily basis because it's such a pain to slow down to one mile an hour to go over a speed bump like you just can't wait to get out of them after a while but they're amazing on the track so i i definitely believe the best tool for the job is really something to keep in mind and it's how i try to write my reviews you know keeping in mind this is the context for which the car is created yeah uh i know we've got just a little bit of time left i want to touch on a couple more things uh the pretty much death of like auto shows now I mean, are we done? Do you think it's over? Oh, uh, that's a great question. In terms of media, yes. Yeah. In terms of media, yes. Uh, why? Why would we need them? It's yeah. like a fashion show. Yeah. You know, when you're st live streaming a fashion show and people can buy the clothing immediately and it costs millions of dollars to produce, why do you need it? Um, every, you know, it, journalists get the news under embargo days in advance. We already have half the story written before we even physically see the car. And I don't think a lot of people understand that we get all the specs and the press releases and the photos before we even see the car so that when we are at the show and we see it and we get comments from executives, we quickly add that in and, you know, massage it into place. So it is accurate, but then you hit publish. We don't really have to be there for that. Yeah. Um, I think for consumers, there may still be a need for a car show. This is something I think about a lot. And it's the idea of how, how much will consumers accept buying cars online without the proverbial kicking tires type of thing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I pay attention a lot to auctions, car auctions, if they're online, like, you know, just like we were talking about before, um, Gooding, Sotheby's. Uh, Bonhams, they're all having these online car auctions. Mm -hmm. And I feel like they're really testing to see the threshold of how far consumers are willing to go in buying a car without actually seeing it, walking around it, sitting in the driver's seat. And I think that applies to new cars and modern cars too. There will still be an element of people who want to be able to see and touch a car before they buy it. Um, and that's where the auto show might come in handy on a more limited basis for consumers. I think for media, I don't know, I don't, I will be fine if I never go to another live car show. Yeah. Um, I mean, shoot, 
they cost a lot of money for you know car companies to put on yeah. um, for media. I bet you they're getting more bang for the buck their buck now not doing it. For sure. Um, yeah, so that's kind of my thought. We'll, we'll, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, do you guys miss car shows? I, I, I kind of grew up, like, in the UK in the 90s, kind of, like, going to, like, there was a big one once a year. It was in Birmingham. We remember driving to it. But that's about it. Like, I'd go to, but I'd also go to, like, watch the Will Rally stages when it came to Wales. Most of Rally GB was in Wales, but that's an event. But they would still have like a car show side to it. I think the things that will survive is like the tuna side to it, right? Like the actual like Tokyo Auto Salon and like the character. SEMA. Yeah, SEMA. Totally. Um, I don't see SEMA going away. Yeah, if it's not covered by Supras every year, you know, like last year was super central. But I think, yeah, yeah, like that, that, that where it's got total personality and it's like do what you want kind of thing. You know, the, the people in it have full, full creativity. Those will survive. Right. Completely. Yeah, not like your new order show or whatever. Yeah. And there's also a distinction between very expensive cars being sold to very wealthy people and cars, you know, like Toyota or Priuses or Hondas being sold because already, you know, buyers who are, who have the means to be buying something from Rolls Royce probably will go to, very small intimate events at a house or a gallery and the car will be launched that way to buyers. That's already, it's already been happening. So those buyers weren't going to convention centers, you know, and walking under the fluorescent lights to go buy their new Rolls Royce ghost. Anyway, they weren't, they weren't doing that. So definitely for the higher end stuff too. I don't think, you know, the automakers had already stopped going to Detroit, to New York. Yeah. Um, they would go to Geneva maybe, and maybe like Frankfurt or maybe Paris. Yeah. So yeah. What, what's your thoughts on Gordon Murray's new creation? Well, that car has been everywhere and you know, we've been talking about it for two years mm-hmm. and, um, Gordon Murray, the man is fascinating and definitely a genius. Um, I, Got to speak with him just, you know, like a bunch of people did. Mm-hmm. Um, he's fascinating. He, you know, was friends with George Harrison. He paints, he designs houses. He has these extensive wine cellars. He collects vintage t-shirts. He's like, a, he's like the world's most interesting man. Mm-hmm. He's Scottish, but he's South African. You know, he's got properties all over the South of France. So he's like, he's like that kind of character from a movie, from a James Bond movie. And the car is an extension of that brilliant mind it's apparently it's the same scale as a porsche boxster which is incredible we talked about cars getting bigger and bigger and gordon murray is very old school and um he is really portraying this car as an extension of the mclaren f1 that of course became famous and is now worth 25 million dollars and, you know, there are a, you get a handful of them that you can buy at any given time privately, but you have to know where to look. Yeah. This one, he's only going to make a hundred of them, you know, two thirds or three fourths of those have already been sold. He wants this to be seen as the modern extension of the formula of the McLaren F1. And, you know, like we all know, super lightweight, super small focused around the driver three seater, which I think is, I think the three seat configuration is really interesting. 
The fact that it's a manual is very interesting. You don't see that ever in supercars now. The fact that it's a naturally aspirated engine is insane and probably the last one we'll ever see in a supercar. I just, I, I asked him, why didn't you do a hybrid thing or an electric thing just like every other, you know, Ferrari, every, everyone's already done it. Ferrari, Koenigsegg, all those guys. Um, and he really, basically he said there was still room for improvement on the F1 design and he believed that he could make it better using that. And he didn't feel the technology, the hybrid electric technology could match what he could do on the naturally aspirated engine. So he went with that, which that's an awesome answer. Like good for him. Um, the back fan, I hate the look of it. I think it looks so weird. (laughs) I don't get it. I hate it. I can't get behind it as much as I like the idea behind the car. And I think Gordon Murray is a great person. I just hate how that fan looks. Um, if it, if it's like, if it actually is mind numbingly amazing to drive, then you gotta like give it, get it, give it credit. Um, that's my thought on the car. I, I haven't driven it. I haven't sat in it. Gordon Murray has this thing where he doesn't want to let press get into any prototypes ever because he wants it to be perfect. So no one can sort of nitpick. And, um, so I, I can't wait to get my hands on it. If I ever get that chance, um, it's, it will be interesting. It will be really interesting. I mean, good for him. He's designed hundreds of cars, not under his own name. This is the first one under his own name. And, um, I, he said he was surprised at how interested people were. I, I can't believe that he would be surprised about it. Yeah. yeah. But, I saw um, you know, that same point you were talking about of he was critiquing the F1. And he's like, yeah, yeah. The, reason, the reason I'm not going to do it any other thing because I was only ever going to do a progression of where I kind of left off. And yeah. I wasn't all that interested in it because he hit me up, texted me, and it just came out, hey, have you watched it? Yet? No, I haven't, I haven't seen it. I don't really care. And then I just yeah. happened to stumble across it. And then, I, you know, I haven't really heard him talk much and I didn't know a whole lot about him. And I was like, oh, this is a fascinating guy. <laughs> like, this is super interesting to see where this That's kind of how I was because, you know, we these things are kind of a dime a dozen sometimes and it doesn't take that much to make a shell or some sort of foam prototype that you just like roll onto a showroom floor and say, we're going to make this in five years, sign on the line and give us some money. That's done. So it's easy to just be like, next, next, next. Mm-hmm. But then when it's Gordon Murray and you li- you really try to listen and understand the, the car, what that is going to be and the fact that, and how they're orchestrating the systems for producing it, it's I'm with you on that. I think it's really interesting. Um, it's, it's unique in that way, and it's a real thing. It's not a, fo- a foam prototype, yeah. you know, roller, yeah. which is nice, nice to know. Cool. Well, I said I was going to come back to the, about the Porsche bubble thing. So when I was reading your article, I it, it was almost like I wish I had read more of your stuff because I feel like there's more maybe you talked about about that kind of Porsche bubble, that Porsche value kind of building up because it was definitely like a tone of kind of knew that was coming type of thing. Yeah, you know, I think I need to write another story just about that because love, it's, love it's yeah, it's a it's definitely a thing. And I didn't go into writing this. We're talking about a story that I wrote that was the re- basically the results of the summer auctions. There are a few more still happening in, at the end of August or, or starting this week, but most of them had happened. So I kind of was just going through auction results to see, all right, what, are we, what do we have here? What are we dealing with? How did things shake out, especially when these auctions are online? And I didn't go in 
you know, I go, I went in looking mostly to see how the Ferraris did, because of course that's the blue chip thing. And it's a great indicator of where the market is. And then also the goal, you know, Mercedes gold wings. Mm -hmm. And then I just started seeing Porsche after Porsche after Porsche that did not meet reserve, like dozens of them that didn't meet reserve. And it's just it surprised me. Um, it's definitely a real thing. Um, you know, I talk to people who make their living selling Porsches and Aston Martins and Jaguars and private sales. And they've been telling me this for some time that like, you know, the prices that you were going to get two years ago, you're just not going to get now. Um, and that's natural. I think it's an, it's probably healthy when, you know, when, 911 turbos from the 70s were selling for 300 and 350 thousand dollars two or three and four years ago. That's nuts because those cars could be had for 20,000 and 30,000 dollars not that many years ago. Yeah, so when you go ahead, sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, when you think about that kind of completely extraterrestrial jump in a very short amount of time, it's only natural that <laughs> that can't that's not going to go on forever it's just not going to yeah our porsche guys you know talking about 993 993 and this i'm like ah, i don't know if i really get that but okay i kind of understand it now people are talking about buying up 996s for that yes. I'm like whoa yeah. whoa that's a that's me is where it didn't even make any sense and i was like this is just a some something's weird about this so it's been kind of interesting to see these numbers kind of topple yeah yeah cost. and and that's not to say, I, I, I actually don't even think it's a, it's bad or it means Porsches are bad or anything. It's actually healthy because uh-huh. now we're coming back down to earth and this is like a calmer, more sensible market for true enthusiasts and collectors and not speculators who are just trying to speculate and buy a bunch of things and then sell when everything's white hot, which yeah. isn't sustainable anyway. So this, I think, is a healthy, natural market correction, um, and probably uh, it's about time, really. Yeah. Well, I hadn't really read a lot of your stuff, and I was familiar and had seen some of your content, but I think that your perspective and the way you come at it and the way you write is awesome, and I definitely will continue to read and look forward to more. So. Thanks. That's really nice of you to say. Yeah. Well, awesome. I mean, I, we really appreciate your time and I know it's, you know, for, for a podcast and a, and a, a new, I guess, car podcast, cause there's millions of them and something that we're trying to create, um, you know, we're just reaching out to, to people purely by Instagram and, and I really appreciate you coming on. And, and once I told Heath, I was like, Hey, Hannah's going to come on. And I almost messed it up. Cause I'm, te- I didn't tell you this. I messaged Hannah thinking I was messaging a buddy of mine, Elliot, saying, hey, I just got Hannah on. And I sent her like, I wish I actually did twice. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my buddy, Elliot, who has Green Over Tan, um, amazing oh. Instagram page for everyone listening. Definitely go to Green Over Tan. Uh, it's blowing up. Mm-hmm. The last year, he's at 34, 35,000 followers in less than a year now. Wow. Um, he, he was like, oh, no way, because he was originally told me about you, and he's a huge Porsche fan as well. And uh, So, yeah, I had to give him a shout-out. But, no, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, for everybody listening, go follow Hannah on Instagram, at HannahElliotXO. If you want fashion tips, definitely go there as well. If you're a female, <laughs> listen to the podcast. Um, Feel free to unfollow. When you get annoyed <laughs> with the fashion, just unfollow. It's fine. Yeah. 
I don't take it personally. No, but thank you so much. And uh, for everyone listening, thanks so much. We'll catch you next episode. Cheers.